Hi, welcome to the Charlotte Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message and that it both encourages and inspires you. I, uh, for those who've been around a while will know this, but if you haven't, I am the son of Croatian immigrants. My Croatian heritage goes back a thousand plus years. And Croatians are a funny mob. Uh, we, uh, we don't do anything in halves. We're passionate. We're zealous. And if we're into something, we take it to the extreme, right? So um, the, when the wave of Pentecostalism swept through Eastern Europe, it, it, it did some amazing things. But prior to that, there was a wave of holiness that comes through. And if you've got a short attention span, if you want to see more of the Holy Spirit in your life, if you want to see more miracles, more of the presence of God, more signs and wonders, get passionate about holiness. Because he's not a genie or a vending machine. There's no magic formula to get him to turn up, but I got to tell you, like a magnet, he is drawn to holiness. So if you make your life something that is holy, if you become passionate about holiness, it will draw in the presence of God more often than not. So they were like, we better be holy. And they thought we've got to figure out what is and isn't holy, what we're supposed to be guarding our hearts from. And there were some preachers that preached against the dangers of soccer. You can't watch soccer because if you get more excited about soccer than Jesus, well, then you won't be serving God. And we've got too many people that are at games or listening to the radio, or watching it on their television, which they shouldn't have either, up to late on Saturday night and they're falling asleep in the sermon on Sunday morning and there's living proof soccer isn't holy. Get it out of your life, right? Guard your heart from soccer. They, uh, they preached against carpet and cars. Can't have that. That's materialism. You can't be focused on materialism. We've got to be focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ and the spreading of the kingdom of God and holiness and all of that other kind of stuff. In fact, some people even preached against hair dye. I asked about why we are anti-hair dye and the response I got was vanity. We can't be vain, Phil. And I said, well, being the cheeky Croatian that I am, I said, looking around the place, there's a whole lot of people taking a whole lot of pride in their grey hairs. So I would say they're struggling with vanity anyway, because vanity is more about what's in your heart than what's on your head. Now, I know you're thinking that's just a bunch of silly Croatians, but I grew up in Australia. I've seen some silly stuff in Croatia, yes, but I've seen some silly stuff in Australia too. I remember talking to one guy who casually explained to me that he was under attack from the devil. And I said, how is the devil attacking you? He says, it's rained every weekend for six weeks when I've gone to go to church. I said, really? He said, yes, I think it's satanic. I said, really? He said, what do you think? I said, well, can I ask a few questions first? He said, sure. I said, great. Let me ask some questions. First question. Does it rain just over your little house or does it rain in the whole area? He goes, the whole area. I said, okay, interesting. Does it just rain on Sunday morning when you're getting to go to church or has it rained other days during the week? He said, yes, it's rained a lot during the week. I said, are we or are we not in Victoria in the middle of winter? He said, we are. I said, I have bad news for you. Your issue is with Jesus. He created the weather patterns. It's not with Satan. I remember, now I'm an old school penty. Come on, anyone been saved a while, right? Anyone grew up in and around church? Okay, we, we ended up in some weird places, didn't we? I remember as a kid, I shouldn't even tell this story, but I will. Uh, so I was a kid and we had relatives that lived in America. That was very exciting to me as a little boy. And for Christmas, 
they sent over a custom Spider-Man toy. Now, if you're young, you won't appreciate how cool this was because now you can go on eBay, you can go online, anything that's available anywhere in the world, you can have it. But when I was a kid, if the toy store didn't have it, you didn't have it. Who knows what I'm saying, right? And even then you often didn't have it. So I get this toy. It's this awesome, it was like this big and he shot webs out and everything. I took it to school. I was the most popular kid at school. So I thought what I will do is I will take him to Sunday school. That wasn't called kids church back then. These kids are spoiled. It's very cool. It wasn't cool when I was a kid, right? We were forced to memorize Bible verses, which is a good thing. They still do that. Um, but we just little cotton wool balls and little lambs and, you know, all the rest of it. Anyway, so I went to Sunday school. I took my Spider-Man toy. All the friends at Sunday school thought it was cool. I thought I was eating a bit till the Sunday school teacher saw the toy. She said, this is evil. I said, really? She said, yes, it is. His hand is evil. I said, what do you mean? Well, his web slinging. That's, that's a satanic symbol. I said, I don't think so. She said, it is, but it's okay. I know that the toy means a lot to you. I'll just cut off his hand. And so she cut off his hand. So now Spider-Man was an amputee. Looking back, I don't think that Spider-Man doll was evil. But you know, that stuff's pretty obvious. That stuff makes sense. I mean, we all, anyone with half a brain, would probably be able to decipher all of that stuff. But our world has gotten a bit more complicated. What about Pokemon? Or Game of Thrones? Or going to a nightclub? Or having lunch at a pub or Halloween. What's a Christian supposed to do with all that stuff? What are we supposed to guard our hearts from? And what falls under the guise of like, listen, mate, you didn't get a car park five minutes before the shop closed on Christmas Eve because you left it to the last minute. It isn't the devil. It's your lack of organisation. Buy a diary. There's my spiritual remedy, right? What all the organised people like, hallelujah, I'm in the right church. All the disorganised people about, don't don't at me. Um, So... How do, we, how do we figure all that out? So I was thinking about all this. I was thinking about that scripture. And then I realised it's October the 31st. Hmm. Now, this is a day that a lot of people celebrate Halloween. It wasn't always like that when I grew up in Australia. Uh, it was considered kind of an American holiday. My only exposure to Halloween came from American movies or American TV shows. But it is something that you know, people celebrate in Australia. I actually noticed when I moved up here last year, this area probably takes it more seriously or celebrates it more than other parts of Australia that I've been to, which I found interesting. So what's a Christian supposed to do with all of this stuff? How do we know what we are or aren't supposed to guard our hearts from? That's what we're going to look at today. Shall I pray quickly? I probably should pray. Dear Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you for everything that you've done. God, I pray that you would help us discern the times that we're in and guard our hearts effectively in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think the first thing is, and I'm not just going to talk about Halloween, I want to talk about all kinds of stuff because we're all in different phases. We all need to guard our hearts from different things. But let's use Halloween as an example. I think the first thing you've got to look at when you're deciding whether or not to guard your heart against something is who might be behind it. Now, if I say Halloween, there'll be a whole lot of people that'll yell out the devil. But take a breath for a second. We'll get there. You know, breathe, Lamas. So um, we'll get there in a second. There's a, there's, a, there's a couple other things I think that might be involved. The first one is if you take a look, I think, at Halloween, I think big business is definitely hoping that this would be successful. And there's a reason for that. If you look in America, which is probably the country that it has the most traction in, Halloween is the second 
highest grossing commercial holiday of the year. It's bigger than Mother's Day, bigger than Father's Day, bigger than uh, Independence Day. It's bigger than New Year's Day. It's bigger than Easter. It's second only to Christmas. In America, it generated prior to the COVID crisis, 8.4 billion US dollars in revenue, right? And it's growing every single year. Australia is a bit smaller than America, if you don't know your geography. It's about 7.25% of the population of the US. So if you do a little bit of calculation and some currency conversion, if Australia was to latch on the way America is, it would generate $800 million. And with the growth rate, it could be nearly a billion dollars. So with the potential of a billion dollar industry, it's no wonder that supermarkets and lolly shops and cafes are getting on board because they stand to make a buck but they're not the only people that might be interested in Halloween being successful. You know who else might be keen on it? Kids. I don't mean it in an evil sense. I mean, who doesn't want to dress up in a cool costume, run around with their friends after you're supposed to be in bed and consume loads and loads of sugar? As a kid, I would have signed up for anything that would have let me do that. In fact, I think over the last couple years, Our society has got a little bit depressing and maybe even some big kids might get excited about that. We might have a few doctors and lawyers and CEOs and bankers and construction workers that just want to let their hair down for a couple hours. That in itself isn't necessarily evil, right? Then there is, of course, the other obvious elephant in the room. If you've got a Bible, I want you to turn with me to the book of Isaiah Chapter 14, verses 12 to 17. Isaiah 14, 12 to 17. Now, anyone who really knows their Bible is probably quite excited. They're like, yes, a scripture about the devil. I've been coming to Shiloh for 18 months and Phil never preaches about the devil ever. And now he's finally going to preach about the devil. So if you were wondering whether I was a proper pastor, whether I'd actually been credentialed, I am going to preach on the devil, right? But I don't really tend to talk about him a lot. I actually think he gets way too much airtime. You can just turn on your TV and listen to the media stats if you want to see what the devil's doing. This is a place that glorifies Jesus. But we do need to know how to guard our hearts. And we do need to know if something is evil or if you've banned yourself from soccer games for no reason whatsoever. To which I would say it's important that we remember when we guard our heart what might be right for someone else based on your wiring might be wrong for you. If you cannot help yourself cheering for Manchester United on a Saturday night, games finishing at four o'clock in the morning, taking a dig at Man U, um, go Liverpool, um, and you fall asleep in church every week and you're more excited about soccer than Jesus, then yes, for you, maybe you need to take a break. But that doesn't mean everybody else should throw out their scarves and stop kicking a ball around and getting all worked up, right? So while you're turning to Isaiah, let me give you the backstory for this because this is like a mini movie. This is like like over a few verses, this tiny little movie that we get to watch that's captured in the Bible. And it was really, really very interesting when it first came out because Isaiah was not the first book of the Bible ever written. And so at this point in time, the, the Jewish people knew that Satan existed. They knew that he was once an angel of light And something happened, but they didn't know what that something was and that turned him the other way. They knew that he was eventually going to get defeated by God, but they didn't really know 
to what extent was he allowed to operate or why he was even allowed to operate. They had a whole bunch of questions. It was kind of like if you've never ever watched a superhero movie before and you start watching The Avengers or you start watching Just League, you see Superman, you see Batman, you see Spider-Man, but you don't know why they are the way they are or why they're wired the way they're wired because you haven't seen the backstory. That's what it was like being a Jewish believer for a very, very long time until this mini-movie played out. Verse 12, let me read it for you. It says... How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to the heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and I will be like the most high. Instead, everyone say instead. Come on, say it like you mean it. Instead. You will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. Everyone will stare at you and ask, can this be the one who shook the earth and made the kingdoms of the world tremble? Is is this the one who destroyed the world and made it into a wasteland? Is this the one who demolished the world's greatest cities and had no mercy on his prisoners? Stop. That's a lot to chew on. So let's unpack that for a bit because this fills in so many missing pieces. It explains that he allowed pride to enter his heart, which evolved into vanity. And he acted on the feelings, just like maybe you've ever, maybe just even for a moment, felt a little bit of pride or a little bit of vanity. He acted on those feelings and he made a colossal mistake, which resulted in a heavenly battle, which he lost. And as a result, his fate is sealed. He will be dragged before God on judgment day. And we will sit there in the witness box, watching and saying, is that it? Is that the guy we had all those prayer meetings about? I thought he'd have more horns. Is, is that the one that tempted me and held me down in fear for so long? I thought he'd be bigger. Is that the guy we were, we were, we were concerned about? Is that all that he is? Hmm. It'll give us perspective, right? So it also answers why God allows him to roam around. But I'll get to that later. Because the question I think some of you are asking is, yeah, but Phil, you haven't answered the Halloween thing or the Game of Thrones thing or the Pokemon thing or the nightclub thing or any other thing. I mean, how do I know? You said you would answer the question. Answer the question. All right. Well, this set of verses is like a short film. Like I said, it's like a little poetic short film, right? And it reveals who the enemy is and what he's doing and all that kind of stuff, right? But it really helps us figure out what we're guarding our hearts against. And the way it does that is a very, very specific phrase that you might have overlooked and might have missed. In this passage of Scripture, God refers to Satan as son of the morning. Now, son of the morning is not a term that you might understand unless you are from the Middle Ages at that Middle East at that period of time. So allow me to fill you in. Sun of the morning was the name for the star slash planet that we now call Venus. I chuck a photo on the screen. That's Venus. I don't know who took that. It's a great Instagram photo. I grabbed it off NASA's website. Um, it's a 3D image of Venus, right? 
Now, this wasn't some accident or misspelling to refer to the devil as Venus. No, 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 no. This was very, very intentional, right? Because in Middle Eastern society and culture at that point in time, they really valued astronomy, right? Uh, Astrological phenomenon was really important to them. It was dominant in the influence of their culture. So when God referred to Satan as a Venus, it would have been a mic drop moment. It would have been a jaw dropping moment. They would have been, oh, wow. That fills in so many blanks. Now I understand. Okay, wow. Now, if you are interested in astronomy, if you spend all your late nights staring into the telescope half asleep and you're yawning at me right now, you can close your Bible and leave because you already know the answers to the question. You're like, thank you very much, Phil. This was very enlightening. Now I get why God referred to him that way. Now I understand what to do with Halloween. All my life makes sense. I can walk out. But if you do not own a telescope, give me a wave if you do not own a telescope. Half the crowd owns telescopes. This is fascinating, right? The other half doesn't. If you don't own a telescope or you haven't spent all your life watching Hubble documentaries, allow me to... (laughs) I don't own a telescope, but I do watch a few Hubble documentaries. Let me unpack it for you if you fall into that category. There are four key characteristics of the planet Venus. And if you understand these four characteristics, it will help you figure out what you are and aren't supposed to guard your heart about. Because the characteristics of Venus are the characteristics that God is linking to Satan. And it will help you identify whether or not you getting rained on is the devil or whether or not it's just school pickup time in Queensland. Come on, all the parents know what I'm saying. Although maybe that is the devil. Um. I won't talk about Halloween just yet. I think that'd be too obvious. I'll let you make up your own mind about Halloween. Let me pick something else. Because I actually think those are the easier ones to identify. I actually think where the enemy runs amok more is in the attitudes that people pick up. There are all kinds of attitudes that we just think is very, very normal and very, very natural, but I actually think have been authored somewhere else. So I'm going to pick one as an example, and we're going to use that as an example when we go through our four qualities. And I am going to pick the attitude of pessimism. So if you're wondering what pessimism is, it's basically the opposite of optimism. Optimism says, you know what? I know I'm going through a lot right now, but God is great and I'm confident that no matter what I face, where I go, what I do, God is going to turn it all around. All things will work together for my good. I've got something to celebrate, like Kim was saying. I've got a reason to be joyful. Pessimism says, hold on a minute, pump the brakes. I don't want to get let down because I've been let down before. So let's just lower our expectation just a teeny weeny bit, just in case you know, it backfires and then I get disillusioned or disappointment. I don't want that. So we'll just, we'll just chill out on that. Pessimism. So the first thing about the planet Venus, which is fascinating, and all the astronomy nerds will probably be able to tell you lots more about this than me, is something to do with, and I hope I get the term correct, albedo. And it's basically a planet's ability to reflect the sun and the light of the sun. You know what's interesting? Venus actually has the greatest ability to reflect the light of the sun, but it reflects it to a part of space where it's completely not needed. If you're taking notes, number one, everyone say number one. It has to use a good quality or even a godly quality and redirect it somewhere else. It has to use a good quality 
or even a godly quality and redirect it somewhere else. Pessimism uses faith. It actually requires the same or more faith than optimism. Let me, let me illustrate this. Optimism would say, hey, 2020 and 2021 has been an unpleasant roller coaster ride. I might have had a whole lot of things go wrong in my life. I might be feeling a little bit bleak right now. But you know what? I don't know the future. And the only one that does, the only one that can see what's coming ahead in the next two months, the only one that can see that's coming ahead in the next 12 months says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Not plans to harm you, but plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. I serve the living God. Greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. So I'm not gonna let the world get me down and I'm not gonna let my attitude get me down. I am gonna declare right now in faith that good things are coming my way. I'm going to shift my attitude right now because I'm going to declare in faith that God is working together all things for good for those who love Him and called according to His purpose. And I might be a Muppet sometime, but I love God and I know I'm called according to His purpose. So I look brightly over the next two months and over the next 12 months. Pessimism would say, I also don't know what the future holds. I don't know what's going to happen in the next 12 months. But every time I get my hopes up and I get excited, I get disappointed and let down. So what I'm gonna do instead is I'm gonna use my faith and lower my expectation. And I'm gonna say that good things might come, but they probably won't. And so therefore I'm gonna calm down. That yes, God can do anything, but He probably won't. And so I'm gonna calm things down. Both don't know the future. Both require a declaration about the future in faith. It takes a good quality, even a godly quality, and it redirects it somewhere else. But Venus is different from the other stars in the sky. In fact, it is not a star. We now know it's a planet. They would have thought it was a star then. I mean, it's viewable in daylight, not just at night, unlike just about any of the other planets. It's the only planet named after a female figure. It's different in a whole bunch of different ways. It's not trying to be like anything else. It wants to stand out. It wants to be separated from the pack. It wants to be different. See, the reoccurring theme in this little mini movie about Satan is his pride and his vanity. Have you ever seen a supermodel that's vain or a very successful rich businessman that's vain? They don't want to blend in. They don't want to be like everybody else. They don't want to be a carbon copy of the person next to them. They don't want to be a cheap knockoff. They want to stand aside from the pack. They want to stand out from the crowd. They want to draw attention because they are different. They are not like everybody else. They have beaten everybody else because of their difference. You want to know a further sign of this? Venus, we now know, actually rotates in the opposite direction to almost every other planet, right? And scientists theorise that what actually happened when Venus was a young planet, it got struck by a heavenly object and it twisted it upside down and now it rotates the opposite way. I was studying vanity, not just because I plan on getting my hair dyed. I've got a couple of greys, but I think it makes me look distinguished. But the psychologist was saying that the number one reason for vanity is an inferiority complex caused by a hurt or a defeat that now seeks to puff itself up. Which sounds pretty similar to somebody else's story. 
See, number two, everyone say number two. It has to appear better than what God does by being different. It has to appear better than what God does by being different. Satan is a whole lot of things, but he isn't stupid. He is not going to try and outdo God at his own game. He did that once before. He got his head kicked in. Didn't go very well. So what does every salesperson do? Come on, all the salespeople, you should know this. When you can't compete with a competitor's product because it's better, you don't. You change the game. You say, oh, we're not trying to do that. We're trying to do this. In the 90s and early 2000s, Apple couldn't compete with Microsoft. They just had too much dominance. So they came up with a marketing slogan that became the ethos and the culture of the company. Think different. And out of that culture came a whole bunch of new devices that have changed the world today. The iPod, the iPad, the iMac, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Think different. Think different. Pessimism isn't the same as optimism. It doesn't even try to be the same as optimism. It's different and it claims its difference makes it better. See, you couldn't get let down, but we're not going to get let down because we think like this. You can behave that way and it might work out really well, but we're going to behave this way and this is how it will benefit us. It, 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 it has to try and beat God at its own game by not beating God at its own game, by doing something completely different. But that's not the only thing I noticed about Venus. The ancient world at that period of time had some interesting theories about Venus. They actually believed that Venus was two different stars. And you see this reference in Scripture and other um, material. They called one the evening star and the other one the morning star, right? In some folklore in that period of time, they even believed they were two half-brothers. Till Babylonian astronomers came along. And they said, well, it might have two different names, might have two different faces, even two different characteristics, but it's actually the same thing. If you're taking notes, number three, everyone say number three. Say number three. It has to be something that can bridge into another more deadly thing. Has to be something that can bridge into another more deadly thing. If that's too long a note, you could just write down, it clicks like Lego bricks. Clicks like Lego bricks. See, strongholds never exist in a vacuum. They're never intended to be isolated things in your life, right? That's not how good chess players think. A good chess player will launch an attack in this area so that you focus all of your resource and energy on it. And while you are fixated on this thing, another bigger attack is brewing somewhere else. And by the time you realise it, it's too late. If you think about pessimism, like pessimism is bad, but... Like it's, it's not as bad as negativity. Negativity is really bad. But negativity is like really bad. I get that. But it's not as bad as depression, which follows negativity and so on and so forth. Look, I'm not a demonologist. I have never studied demonology. But I've been around church a long time. I've never ever heard anyone casting out a spirit of pessimism. The thing is, we often miss what the devil's doing because we're looking for it to be so overtly evil. And that's usually not how he works. Who knows what I'm saying, right? If he can't get through the front door, he'll try the back door. 
Most Christians will guard their back door on their front door. He'll try the major side window. Most Christians are guarding that. So he's like, how about the toilet window? <laughs> Let's just see if I can sneak in there. It doesn't matter if it's not overtly evil because like Lego bricks, I'll click onto the next thing. I'll click onto the next thing. I'll click onto the next thing, right? It doesn't have to be demon possession. It doesn't have to be a pentagram in your home for the enemy to gain a foothold. So... Venus has a much slower rotation than Earth, much slower rotation. So one day on Venus, it moves so slowly, right? One day on Venus is basically takes a whole Earth year. So slow is the movement on Venus that it's very hard to distinguish between day and night because it's just such a subtle shift. It's just such a subtle change. Number four, everyone say number four. Every plan, every strategy, every attack is designed to take you slowly at least one step away from God. Every plan, every strategy, every attack is designed to take you slowly one step away from God. There's this myth out there that the devil just wants everybody to just go to hell tomorrow. And it's true, I'm sure he does, but that's actually not how he plays the game. Any good poker player, of which I am not a poker player, Praise God for, for the Bible's view on that because I would be broke. Um, but any good poker player who I have hung out with has told me this. You can't go all in at the start. It's too risky. If it backfires, you're broke. You just slowly whittle away the chips from your opponent one by one by one by one by one so they're too far behind to catch up. That's how the enemy plays this game. He's not trying to get you to hell tomorrow. He knows that you're not going to renounce God today. That's ridiculous. So he's just trying to get you one step, one step, one step, one step. You live a long time. He knows you'll live a long time. One step, one step, one step. Matthew 6.24 says that no man can serve two masters. He'll either love one or hate the other. Hate doesn't happen overnight though. Nobody wakes up and just hates people. It brews over time. Things build together over time. His ultimate goal, yes, is to make you hate God, but he knows it might take decades for that to happen. So if you think about something like pessimism, for example, pessimism won't make you hate God, won't make you renounce your faith. You won't reject your salvation over that. It won't stop you going to heaven, won't stop you reading your Bible, won't stop you worshipping, won't even stop you witnessing. Definitely won't hold your church attendance back. But what it will do is it will erode your belief in the power of God to intervene in ordinary circumstances. And as that begins to happen, and as you begin to see God do less, step by step by step, you drift further away because Venus is trying to draw you into its orbit away from the orbit of the sun, right? That is kind of how the enemy works. So, Halloween. Someone's going to email me saying, you just, you just keep teasing me. Let's talk about Halloween. Okay, so let's talk about Halloween. Uh, Halloween's not a new thing. It's an old thing. It's been around a couple thousand years. Um, the Celts basically first invented it. They were a group of people, uh, not Riverdance Celts, although, yes, sure, that's part of their culture. For those who remember Riverdance, I'm showing my age, aren't I? All the young people are like, what are you talking about? It was big in the 90s. Don't laugh at me, right? I remember watching the TV specials and trying to do the little stuff. Anyway, the Celts invented this, um, this festival. Basically, they used to celebrate New Year's Day on the 1st of November, which was the start of their winter, the end of their summer. And so they would celebrate the harvest time 
uh, being over, summer being over and the start of winter. Now, winter in that part of the world, we're talking about the UK, Ireland, northern France, like was pretty damp and pretty dark and pretty cold. And so it was often associated with human death because a lot of people died. And so they would have this big festival to celebrate the end of summer. But um, many of the practices of this particular festival were linked into their rituals and their superstitions because that's what they believed at that point in time, right? And you'll see how it's all evolved and changed because it's been commercialised and it's, um, you know, it's been, um, it's been altered by Western society. The way, uh, you know, when they originally celebrated Easter in the Bible, they weren't handing out chocolate eggs. Do you know what I mean? Like when, uh, when Christmas time was celebrated in the Middle East, nobody was putting snow up in their house, right, you know, to celebrate Christmas. It's evolved and changed over the time. So that's what this happened. Now, the Celts believed that at night time, spirits would roam through to and from the land, which is not, um, they're not the only people that believe that. Even to this day, there's groups of Satanists and witches who believe that the veil is thinner at night time and so there's more demonic activity. That's not what I believe as a Christian. It's not biblical, but that's what they believe, right? And so um, what the Celtic Druids would do, because they really loved this festival, they really embraced it, is they would sit around bonfires and they would demonically prophesy over one another. And they would do that by putting on masks, usually often made out of animal heads or skins or whatever, and they would lay hands on one another. So it's a pretty scary sort of thing. So if you were an everyday ordinary person, this is not a night you wanted to go out and like pick up the milk. Who knows what I'm saying? When your wife is like, you haven't taken out the rubbish, you did not want to do that, right? So how would you go outside on a night like this? Because you're worried about spirits and druids and all kinds of stuff floating around. So what they did was they would wear masks themselves, in the hope that when a spirit or a druid would see them, they would say, ah, you're one of us. All good, we're not going to attack you. You say, that's a bit of an odd thing. Well, some cultures like that culture, and again, there's particularly witches and Satanists and stuff to this day who believe this, believe that when you wear a costume or a mask, you embody the heart and the spirit of that thing, right? That's why they believe that. So hence you get your costumes. If you're wondering why they're all so creepy, that's why. Now, People were still afraid in their homes because now there's a whole bunch of weirdos running around, right, with masks and whatever else, chanting and prophesying over one another. So they were like, how do we protect ourselves in our home? And so what they would do is they would put out treats and bits and pieces in the front of their house. So in the hope that if any creepy crawlies decided to come through, they'd go, I'll just take these and go. Thank you very much. Hence the trick or treat. Um, about 1000 AD, so long after this festival, the Catholics came through and uh, they were spreading the gospel and all that kind of stuff. Cool. And uh, they thought, we need to do something with this, right? Because this is such a major festival. And so uh, they christened November the 1st as All Souls Day, right? A day where we would honour all the dead saints who've gone and done great things for Jesus Christ. Probably not the smartest thing they ever did, but anyway. Um, they were attempting to replace the Celtic Festival of the Dead. So I appreciate their efforts, right? Um, and so they had a church-sanctioned holiday, which included bonfires and parades, and um, costumes where people dressed up as uh, saints, angels, and weirdly devils as well. Um, and All Saints Day uh, became quite popular, sort of took off, and uh, it was also called All Hollows Day, or All Hollowmans. And then the night before it, the traditional night began to, the, the Soween Festival, as it was called by the Celts, uh, began to be called All Hollows Eve, or Halloween. Now, 
I could go through and list every single tradition and give you the history for every single one of those things, but it would probably do one of two things. It would either bore you to tears for some people, and I don't want to bore you, this is a church, right? Or it would creep a whole lot of people out, and I don't want to creep people out, that's not really my business, right? So I won't go and do all of that. I will point out, though, that everything that I've just discussed, I didn't pull from some Christian book about a concerned parent. I grabbed all of that information from secular sources. You will have no problem doing your own research on something like this. Just Google it or go and get There's a bunch of great books. There are Christian books on the topic. I found two other things, though, very, very interesting that cropped up, right? Um, two quotes. The first was from a guy called Anthony LaVey. He's the founder of the modern satanic church. He said... I'm glad that Christian parents let their children worship the devil at least one night of the year, end quote. That's interesting. I thought, hmm. The other one, which I won't quote because this is a church and it's a very poisonous book. Um, One of the secular sources actually quoted the Satanic Bible where it says after one's own birthday, basically it's the equal most important holiday to celebrate if you are a card-carrying Satanist, which I found pretty interesting. Now, I'm not going to go through and comb it through those four criteria. You do that yourself because the whole point is this is not a pro or anti-Halloween thing. I want you to be able to guard your heart against all kinds of stuff. Should you be watching Game of Thrones? Run it through those four things. Should you be going to a nightclub? Run it through those four things. But this is the part where many Christians tend to get a bit defeated. Why would God allow this? What's happening with Australian society? It wasn't like that when I was younger. This is also the time, I think, where it drills up some of those feelings that I can see across the body of Christ right around the world. There are many Christians that are really struggling with why things are operating the way that they're operating. How come that thing happened in the election or what's going on with lockdowns or all this other kind of stuff. And we can get very, very disillusioned. And sometimes even that's where pessimism might sort of seep in, right? And I think there's a, there are times even when it's not to do with that at all. It's just sickness or some other thing. And we say, God, why would you allow that? Why would you allow what is evil? Which is a question that the Jewish people asked as well. There's so many different answers to it. But seeing as we're looking at this passage of Scripture, let me pull on one. The Jewish view of Satan had a very unique angle to it. The word Satan appears all over the Bible. It's often translated as three different things. Everyone say three things. The first, um, you know, is, and it can be different in different translations, but, you know, adversary or adversary or whatever, right? So that's cool. That's a biblical thing. I've preached about that. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rules of darkness, et cetera. You know, and we are supposed to resist the devil because he flees from us, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's fine. I got no issue with that. I got no issue with Christians starting YouTube channels resisting the devil what i would say though is to make sure that when we resist the enemy that we don't use tactics out of his playbook because in the kingdom of god the end never justifies the means so there's that the other thing is it can get translated as a stumbling block because he wants to trip you up so that you don't make it to the finish line i got no issue with that either i just preached a 30 minute sermon on that so that's fine that's all good look for the stumbling blocks get rid of them in your life but there's one other one other thing that the bible translates the word satan as And it appears a couple times in Scripture, but it's the one I think we focus on the least and it answers the question as to why God would even let the devil rove around the way he does. And that is obstacle. Everyone say obstacle. Obstacle. Now, have you ever done an obstacle course? 
often wonder why people do obstacle courses, especially when they get older, why a grown-up would do an obstacle course. What's the deal with obstacle courses? Why the obstacle course? You know, uh, back in Victoria where I'm from, there's a very, very famous obstacle course. It's called Tough Mudder. And people attempt Tough Mudder from all over the world. They train for years to be able to do Tough Mudder. Tough Mudder takes out the strongest of the strong. Guys who think they don't need to train, whew, they got another thing coming. So people spend money building teams. They hire professional coaches so that they can be ready for the obstacle course known as Tough Mudder. They book their flights and their accommodation. They fly all the way out. It only happens once or twice a year and they get ready and they go in and they do Tough Mudder. You ask yourself, what do you get for completing this incredible thing? Do you get a car? No. Do you get a monetary prize? No. Are they filming a TV show? No, but probably not yet because one day I'm sure it's bound to happen. All you get for completing Tough Mudder is a tiny little certificate to say, hey, I've completed Tough Mudder. So I started to talk to the crazies who were doing Tough Mudder. I wanted to understand why any sane, right-minded person, and you can tell from my belly, I have yet to complete Tough Mudder, why they would go and do this crazy obstacle course. I said, why? And I listened to their answers. I realised something about obstacle courses. See, the more you do in the obstacle course, the fitter you become, the stronger you become, the more fat you burn away, so the faster you become. You actually become smarter because it hones in your problem-solving skills. Weirdly, you become less self-reliant because you realise it's almost impossible to complete on your own, so you need your teammates. You learn to rely on your team. A lot of the really good guys who've hired a coach learn to listen to the voice of their coach because there's a whole lot of yelling and screaming and swearing happening in the place and just drown out all the other voices to focus on him because he's the only one that can see what's on the other side of the obstacle they're facing right now and can guide them through to the next step, right? See, an obstacle course isn't designed to kill you. Not at all. I had one guy say to me, my coach is not there to watch me struggle and strive and strain. Not at all. It's actually just the opposite. You become an overcomer by completing the obstacle course. See, if you don't complete the obstacle course, you might be fit and you might be strong, but you're just someone that's full of potential. You're not full of victory. You haven't yet gone into the fray. You haven't yet overcome, right? But when you go in and when you tackle this, you become somebody that's full of victory because your coach wants that for you, wants more for you than just someone that's chock full of potential, right? You become stronger. You become smarter. If you're a Christian, you become more full of faith. You learn, come on, who knows what I'm talking about here in the body of Christ, to rely on the people in this church who cheer you on because they can't wait to see you reach the finish line. That's why you do an obstacle course, right? You become more confident in the anointing of God on your life. You become more confident in the ultimate authority that comes from Jesus Christ. See, they knew in that mini movie sequence that Satan would be defeated. What they hadn't realised up until this point, and I'll get keys up, what they hadn't realised is why he was allowed to stay. Because he is the obstacle course. Everything you've ever faced every sickness you've ever come against, every demonic infestation in your family, 
every challenge in your marriage, every challenge on this church is just an obstacle course that God has set up so that you can defeat. Because God does not want to see you as someone that's just full of potential. God wants to see you as somebody who is full of victory, who knows what it's like to stand on the head of Satan and say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Everything you face is just another obstacle course built on the broken back of Satan. Your hands are trained for war, but you've got to go out into the battle. You've got to go out into the obstacle course. And when you understand this, it's a game changer. Don't you realise it does not matter what happens with the political stuff. It doesn't matter what happens with lockdowns. It doesn't matter what happens with the devil in our society. I'm not saying that we shouldn't resist him. Of course we should. That's biblical. But my point is my success, your success is not dictated by what the enemy does. He's just an obstacle course. He's just an obstacle course and his back is broken too so that you can be full of victory, full of victory, not just full of potential, so that you can be someone that knows what it's like to walk in authority, so that you can be stronger, smarter, fitter, faster as you relentlessly pursue what God's got for you. He's just an obstacle course and He does not determine how victorious you are. In fact, when you see Him, you will say, is that it? I thought He would be bigger than that. He's just an obstacle course. And you have what it takes to get to the other side in victory. Because you have victory running through your veins because the blood of Jesus Christ flows through us. You are stronger than you know because you are empowered by the Holy Ghost. Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. When you resist the devil, he does flee from you because he's not as big as you think. He's a whole lot smaller and a whole lot less stronger. And God has already broken His back before you've even started the course. So every challenge, every setback, every stumbling block, every difficulty in your marriage, difficulty in your business and difficulty in your life is just another obstacle course and you are set up for victory. So that one hand you can, one day you can stand right next to Jesus. And you will not just be full of potential, but you'll be full of the war stories of victory. And yes, that means that when we resist, sometimes it's frustrating because it looks like the devil won that battle, but he's not winning the war. He's already defeated. And it doesn't actually matter as much as you think it does because your success is not dictated by Satan. It's dictated by Jesus who's laid him out like an obstacle I'm going to pray for some people today. I'm going to get everyone to close your eyes and I want to look around. First group of people I want to pray for. So I want to pray for people who need Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. I'm not asking if you believe in Jesus. The devil believes in Jesus. I'm asking, is He Lord? So He's in charge of your life and Saviour, which means He forgives you for everything you've ever done. I'm not asking what you tell your parents. I'm not asking what you put on Facebook. I'm not asking what you wrote on the census. I'm asking, is Jesus Christ Lord and Saviour of your life? If He's not, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. 
when you do that, everything that I preach today will be true for you and true for your life. I don't want to embarrass you or make you do anything weird. You stay there, I'll stay here. But I do want to pray for you. And just so I know who I'm praying for, if that's you, say, yeah, I need Jesus Christ. Either for the first time or come on, if your heart's beating hard in your chest, you're like, "Mm, maybe he's not Lord anymore. I need to bring him back. While no one's looking around, while everyone's got their eyes closed, if you're like, Phil, please pray for me. Can I just get you to raise your hand? Just so I know who I'm praying for. Just put your hand up and I'll see it. You can put it back down. Awesome. Thank you. Anyone else? Fantastic. Thank you. Anyone else? Awesome. This is what we're going to do. We're going to pray a prayer. And so you're not praying it on your own because it's a repeat after me prayer. I'll get all the Christians to repeat after me. And hey, we're in a church. There's heaps of Christians, right? So you're not going to be on your own. Are you ready, church? Come on, repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for your victory on the cross. Please come into my life as Lord and Saviour. Help me to follow you all my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give those two people a hand. You made that decision, best decision ever. And I just want everyone to stand up. Just for five minutes, I'm gonna do an old-fashioned prayer meeting so that when you tackle an obstacle, you'll know what to do. I'm going to pray loud. Maybe you're not tackling any obstacles right now. That's cool. Maybe you're right in the middle of one and your face is covered in mud and you're like, man, I don't know how much longer I can do this. You are in a room full of faith. The Bible says when two or more gather together in my name, I'll be with them. That was Jesus. Come on, is there anyone gathered here for the name of Jesus? Which means Jesus is in the place. Jesus is in the place. Victory is in this place. Healing is in this place. Breakthrough is in this place. Come on, who knows what I'm saying? Provision is in this place. Come on right now. So we are gonna pray right now. We're gonna break some things. You say, well, Phil, you don't understand. I've been under the thumb of the enemy. You don't understand. His back is already broken. He's just an obstacle course that you are gonna cross through this morning. Well, you don't understand. This thing has attacked my family. Well, we're gonna draw a line in the sand today and say this far and no more, right? Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. All authority has been given unto me, Jesus said, right? Not some of it, all of it. The enemy is under our feet. Who knows what I'm saying? He is defeated. He is defeated. Come on, if you need healing, I want you to raise your hand. Any part of your body, any part of your body. Or if you're standing in the gap for somebody else, I know with travel and stuff, there are some people overseas in different states. Come on, if you're standing in the gap for I want you to raise your hands right now. We are gonna declare that the enemy's hold on that sickness, that infirmity in your body is broken in the name of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that a lot of great things happened on the cross. It wasn't just sin that was defeated. The Bible says by stripes we were healed. In other words, when Jesus was whipped and beaten and hung there on the cross, He took the keys of sickness away from Satan and He said, you don't have the authority for this anymore. Your back is broken. So what you are facing right now is an obstacle 
that we are gonna believe right now that you're gonna cross through to the other side on. What you're standing in the gap for is somebody who's facing an obstacle that you are gonna cross in on the other side of. The enemy will not have the final say. Satan will not have the last word. There is a final word. Its name is Jesus Christ. And He brings all the hope and the victory and the healing that you could ever need. You might have multiple issues. We'll get ready for multiple healings. And we are gonna lift our voice and we are gonna pray. Come on, I'm gonna count to three and I want you to pray. I want you to declare your own healing as I pray over you as well. Come on, if you're not sick, I want you to pray right now. Lift your voice for all the hands that are in the room on the count of three. One, two, three. Come on, lift your voice, lift your voice, lift your voice. Right now, Jesus, I take authority over every single sickness and infirmity in the place and everyone represented. God, I declare these are just names. They're just names. They're just names. Cancer is a name, Lord Jesus. COVID is a name, Lord Jesus. Jesus, a broken leg, it's just a name and it bows before the authority of Jesus Christ. So in the Name of Jesus, the Name that is above every name, the authority that is above every authority, we break the power and the curse of sickness right now over people's life. We declare that they are healed right now in the Name of Jesus, in the Name of Jesus. There are people here and you've been having trouble sleeping. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Just got a sense in my spirit. You have been trouble, having trouble sleeping. The Bible says He gives His children sleep and it's long and it's sweet. It says you will not be afraid of the terror by night or the arrow that flies by day. Which means we have authority when we are awake and you have authority when you are asleep. The enemy does not have the last say at night time. He is no more in power at night than He is in the day. He is as weak and as defeated at three o'clock in the morning as He is at three o'clock in the afternoon. Because on the cross of Calvary, He took those keys, Jesus took those keys out of the enemy's hands. He does not have authority over your sleep. You are a child of Almighty God. Jesus dictates what happens in His home and He says His children sleep. So if that's you and you've been struggling with sleeping, raise your hands. Some people, you've been struggling a long time. No more, no more. This is just an obstacle course. This is just a broken back that we are gonna come through on the other side of. Count of three, we're gonna pray. Come on, even if you don't have trouble sleeping, I want you to raise your voice. Let the cry of faith come out of this room. Let people hear your voice raise and let it stir their spirits. Some of you have actually already had something broken, but you've fallen into the mindset that says, nah, this is just the way it is. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. Get a little bit more optimistic. On the count of three, one, two, three. Lift your voice, lift your voice. Come on, if you don't struggle with sleep, you should lift your voice even louder. Let faith stir in the room. Come on, if you do struggle in sleep right now, begin to declare in faith optimistically that breakthrough is coming to your nighttime. Right now, in the Name of Jesus, I take authority over whatever is causing the lack of sleep. I take authority over it in Jesus' Name. Whether it be a medical thing, an emotional thing, a spiritual thing, a psychological thing, all of these things have to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. I declare what Your Word says, God, not what our feelings say, not what our past experiences said. Your Word says that You give Your children sleep 
It says the sleep will be long and it shall be sweet. I come against, Lord, right now, what's ever causing broken sleep for people. People that are up constantly, I break that now in the Name of Jesus. Long and sweet. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night nor the arrow that flies by day. So I take authority right now in Jesus' Name over every thought, Lord God, that's keeping people up. Over every anxious thought that's keeping people up. Over every spirit that might be keeping people up. Right now, in the Name of Jesus, I break the power and authority over people's lives that the enemy has wielded. And we declare right now, Jesus is gonna give you sleep. Jesus is gonna give you sleep. In the Name of Jesus, I release peace into every home, peace into every bed, peace into every bedroom. We declare that that is the reigning authority. That is the atmosphere over you. Right now, in Jesus' Name, some of you need to put on some worship at night time. And when you wake up for a second and you're a little bit afraid, you remember Jesus is in the room watching over you, guarding that place. I am Thank you for joining our podcast. We hope you were blessed by today's message. You can connect with us at shilohchurch.com.au.